You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, hello, hello again, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to catch up on any previous episodes you've missed or subscribe for future episodes, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Stay tuned to hear about why you need to make Built Bar your premier protein bar of choice. On tonight's episode, I wanted to go over a couple of things. I had a couple of thoughts about Winnipeg's two-game stand between uh, the Jets and the Calgary Flames. And then I'd also thought I'd talk a little bit about what I saw from Line A's debut for the Columbus Blue Jackets, because I did catch part of that game, not the whole thing. And of course, the scoreline is going to look a little bit poor, as Dallas kind of whipped Columbus pretty badly. But I have some thoughts about Line A's individual performance. I think it's going to be a bit of an adjustment period, but we'll get to that in a bit. Let's first start off with uh, Calgary's first game against the Jets, which took place last night. This one was a very frustrating game for a variety of reasons. I think chief among them was that the Jets just weren't very good. Despite being a little bit rested and playing on home ice, the Jets didn't really seem all that prepared. The first period was fine enough. I thought that both teams exchanged chances. I thought that the Jets did an okay job of limiting the number of scoring opportunities against and of course, this game was the first that debuted the new top lines that didn't have Shifley and Wheeler together. So you had Connor, Stastny, and Wheeler as your so-called second line, and on their top line, Cop, Ehlers, and Shifley. On the positive side of things, neither of these lines really spent that much time in their defensive zone, although Connor, Stastny, Wheeler did have a couple of shifts where they got pinned a little bit just because that line is not particularly great at moving the puck outside of, like, Connor and Stastny, maybe. And even then, like, Connor and Wheeler are both defensive liabilities in their own end. The new top line of of Kopp, Shifley, and Ehlers didn't really get going for most of the game. I think a lot of it was just Ehlers not really feeling comfortable yet with how to play with Shifley. I think in a lot of ways, Ehlers was kind of waiting for Shifley to either get into certain spots or make him the focal point of that line's offense rather than Ehlers just sort of playing his own game and letting the other pieces fit him. When Nick is the player who's dominating possession and playing with somebody who plays close to him and can essentially serve as a fair outlet, I think Nick just kind of cuts loose and does his own thing. And, you know, Paul Stastny is not somebody who's afraid to carry the puck through the neutral zone, but he's also very good at closing the gap to the net and playing a net front presence, which is often something that Ehlers likes to utilize. Shifley's approach in some ways is a little more measured. He definitely has speed to burn, and he's not afraid to close the distance to the net, but I think Shifley's overall game is a little bit more perimeter-based at times, and then he'll kind of drop low and cut inside. But I think Nick just sort of struggled to figure out the best way to play with him. And so what you saw was, for the most part, a better defensive result. I think that the Jets did a pretty good job of disrupting Calgary from setting up in the offensive zone. And while the shot clock did have a number of chances for both teams, generally speaking, it was a fairly quieter opening compared to what we've seen in past games. I will say that uh, it it looked like the Flames may have had a couple of extra chances here and there, and I think natural stat trick gave them the, the decisive edge in that period. 
but the actual margin itself in terms of you know scoring chances of note was pretty slim I mean this was just not a period where either team was really opening up the ice and, and making a lot of stretch passes and huge plays luckily for the Jets they did find themselves two up thanks to a two goal uh, power play performance from Kyle Connor who has started to find his office on that right faceoff circle he's a very good shooter we already knew that and now he's just sort of slapping one-timers and really connecting on this first power play unit with some of the other guys like Stastny. So obviously this is a great sign. I think that the Jets special teams definitely needed it. Good stuff. And then the rest of the game happened, and I think that this is where the Jets started to struggle. The second period, for the most part, was a little bit boring, I would say. Neither team was able to create much at even strength, but uh, thanks to some weird stuff like Hellebuck letting in a, a goal from Calgary's under the ice, and some potentially, you know, riskier chances and stuff against especially towards the back end of that second period I thought that the Jets were starting to look a little more vulnerable you know heading into the third period with a 2-1 lead not exactly comforting and then Winnipeg just kind of collapsed in the third period and before you knew it you know Calgary was up 3-2 Mangiapane and Goudreau had both scored thanks to some really sloppy defensive plays and it's just one of the situations where it's like yeah, you know, I saw Beaulieu had, like, the third most even strength time on ice among the defenders. Wheeler was struggling out there, and I mean, there's just a lot of different parts of this team that defensively don't work well together, and I think that those parts of the team often find themselves on the ice at the same time, which is a really bad situation. It is very fortunate that Connor Hellebuck's third period was incredible as far as individual performances are concerned. No matter what happened in the rest of the game, you do have to say that he was able to keep the Jets in it. And then when the Jets actually tied it on a last-second goal from Mark Scheifele in forced overtime, you know, the, the points really did kind of come courtesy of Connor Hellebuck just stealing that one extra standings point to keep it close. Now, the Jets and Flames did actually exchange a number of chances in overtime, and there was actually quite a bit of chaotic opportunity there, but neither team was able to capitalize, and then Calgary won in the shootout. I do think it's kind of funny that, like, people were really upset over Matthew Perot shooting, you know, before Nick Ehlers, and of course I would probably pick Ehlers over Perot, but I don't really think that the decision ended up making that much of a difference. You know, Ehlers is not really a shootout guy, he's not a breakaway guy. Pro isn't really either, I would say. I think my bigger concern is that it got to that point and that the Jets really struggled to put much together. The fact that they even got to the overtime period and a shootout is actually miraculous. The Jets kind of got curb stomped, and I think that that says a lot about the overall performance on the night. So, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm going, I'm going to accept the result, but I will say that the Jets were lucky to get a point. You take that all day as far as just kind of surviving until Pierre-Luc Dubois arrives is concerned, but I, I do think that there are definitely signs that the Jets have to work on a lot of different things, and actually, in just a moment, we'll talk about what adjustments they made for the second game, and whether or not said changes have actually had a tangible impact on the team's performance. Before then, though, I thought you should know a little bit about why BetOnline.ag needs to be your online betting site of choice. The next Super Bowl is on the horizon, and whether you're backing Tom Brady's Buccaneers or Patrick Mahomes and the reigning champ Kansas City Chiefs, there's only one place to put your money on who you think the next Lombardi Trophy winner is going to be, and that's BetOnline.ag. They're the safest, most trusted name in online betting and have all the sports you could possibly want, whether you're a college football fan, NFL fan, or even into ice hockey action. Maybe you even enjoy international sports, and if so, you're in luck. They've got everything from European football to tennis, and have all the betting types you want, whether you're looking for straight bets, parlays, or more. Stop sitting on the sidelines and take charge of your online sports fandom. Go to betonline.ag and get in on the action today. When you do, be sure to create a free account and use promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Again, when you're setting up your free account at betonline.ag, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON for that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Log in and start getting your wins today. 
Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. In just a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about tonight's game of the Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets rematching once again after Calgary's shootout win last night. Before we cover tonight's action, though, you should be listening to Locked on Today. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked on Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked on Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And now we're on to thinking about how Winnipeg did in their second matchup against the Calgary Flames. Overall, I'm happy to report that the performance from the team was pretty good. Um, I would say that Shifley, Kopp, and Ehlers had a really great game. In fact, they were easily the best line on the night, and I was very impressed with their performance. They dominated at even strength. Ehlers and Shifley got along pretty well. Cop was creating really nice, dangerous chances down low. If they keep that up, I think that line should definitely stay together. I'm very happy with it. Shifley looked a lot more like his older self, where he was just very offensively aggressive, getting into the right shooting lanes, creating good passing opportunities, just being the offensive threat we know he can. And now that Ehlers is sort of settling in and just kind of playing his game a bit more comfortably than he did last night, it looked a lot more fluid. I like the look of it. I think Cop fits alongside them very well. He brings a little bit of two-way defensive stability, and he's also not afraid to grind along the corners, which is a perfect fit for how Ehlers and Shifley often like to play. The third line was very good, I thought. Uh, Perot, Lowry, and, and Appleton, of course, have really good chemistry. Those guys all seem to get along, and Appleton continues to impress me. He's had a couple of really good offensive opportunities recently, whether it's passing to one of his linemates or taking a dangerous low slot shot himself. He looks a lot like Andrew Kopp did when, you know, Kopp was on that same position, and so it's cool to see him developing along a similar trajectory. And certainly a welcome sign for Winnipeg's bottom six, what with, uh, you know, Kopp getting the top-line deployments now. The fourth line I thought was pretty all right. Veselainen, Harkins, and Trevor Lewis did enough to just kind of, I don't know, keep the puck away from their own end and, and sort of not really create too many offensive opportunities, but also not be a drag on the team. If your role is to essentially just be someone who transitions the puck up the ice and keeps it away from your defensive zone, well, they did that for the most part. Maybe got a couple of shots here and there. Nothing too exciting. On defense, you know, Beaulieu and, and Morrissey, I think, were okay for the most part as long as they didn't get pressured in, the, pressured in the defensive zone. That pairing I was kind of concerned about. And at first, their minutes were kind of limited. But as the evening sort of wore on, they did occasionally get a little bit more ice time than maybe... I was hoping for, but still trailing the top pairing of Forbort and Pionk, which, in my opinion, that's the right choice. If you have to choose one of these defensive units to be your lead ice time, especially at even strength, it's got to be Derek Forbort and Neil Pionk. I sort of jokingly said on Twitter that, you know, I trust them the most out of all of Winnipeg's defensive pairings, but that's actually true. I really do think that they are the ones that I actually genuinely trust more than any other defensive unit on this team. And not because, like, this pairing is amazing, but, you know, generally speaking, they do a pretty decent job. And when they're on point, you know, these guys actually, you know, limit offensive opportunities against for the most part, and they're also pretty effective in the offensive zone. Pionk, I think for his part, is kind of one of those guys who definitely tries really hard in defensive markings and sometimes maybe overcommits or doesn't recognize danger, but that's where Forbort steps in. You know, Derek is a little bit awkward, but he's a big guy. He can sort of block out dangerous areas near the net, and he understands when he needs to be the one to step in for his partner. So I think that that pairing works well. I think it's been showing good signs, and I think that if, if Maurice and the rest of the team uh, coaching staff feel that they are, in fact, the number one pairing, at least for the time being, that's probably the best outcome. Beaulieu did come in third on even strength time on ice for the defenders, which I don't think is great. I don't know that I would really want to see that going forward just because 
Boyu under pressure has struggled a lot, but I also kind of look at this team and I'm like, well, I don't I don't really know what other defenders to really put out there. Because you've got Stanley and DeMello, but DeMello, I think, has had a little bit of a rougher reintroduction. He hasn't been, like, the worst defender on the ice, but I definitely don't think Dylan is quite as to where he was last season, where he was, like, a shutdown guy that you could rely on with Morrissey. And unfortunately, Morrissey is not someone that you can really rely on either. Stanley, I think you can definitely use in that limited third-pairing role, but you have to find somebody who's a more active puck mover. And I don't know if Beaulieu Stanley is better than, like, Beaulieu and DeMello, but... In the limited times that we saw both Bolu and DeMello on the ice, they did have a bit of an issue tonight, and it's not really shocking. I mean, Stanley, I think, does his best to sort of block out shooting lanes and try and be somebody who is at least a, more, a bit more um, defensively aggressive in the corners and stuff, but sometimes his foot speed gets in the way. That said, I think the, the biggest issue with tonight's performance was the, the second line and then the third period. Um, the second line just really didn't do much of anything. In fact, they kind of got hammered. Connor, Stastny, and Wheeler just don't really have much defensive value. Stastny definitely can try to get the puck out and make defensive transitions and recoveries, but Wheeler and Connor just can't do that. Now, Connor does bring offensive value, and I think that that's, of course, important to point out when you're talking about him being a really effective creator in the offensive zone and transitioning the puck through the neutral zone, or as well as, you know, uh, offensive zone entries. Wheeler, though, just doesn't really do that that much, and I unfortunately think that his defensive impact has significantly declined. So much of his power forward game was reliant on really great aggressive skating, especially downhill skating against opposing defenders, and you just can't do that anymore. So I, I kind of look at this line as something that's not really functional, and I don't know how you fix it, because both Connor and Wheeler aren't really going to get magically better with defensive positioning and marking, so the Jets are going to have to figure out the best way to try and, you know, manage their minutes, which actually it does look like they did tonight. Wheeler actually played very few minutes, relatively speaking, where we usually see him playing like 20 plus minutes a night, he actually got significantly less. So that's that's a good adjustment, and hopefully Blake accepts it, understands it, and embraces it, because I think if he actually takes less minutes, it'll allow him to be more effective in the limited time he does get. After a great two periods tonight, I will say that the third period was really bad, just because Winnipeg sat deep and tried to like just kill off the game, which against Calgary I don't really know is a great idea. If the first couple of periods were mostly Winnipeg's, you know, top line and, and depth forwards really creating havoc. The third period was basically Laurent Brassois keeping the lead in favor of the Jets. He made some stellar saves, especially late, and I think, you know, the the one on Goudreau, especially right before the end of the game, was a huge save, one of the best of the game, and he said he actually wasn't really set for it, detected that shot late, but still managed to stretch out and just uh, pad that one away very fortunately, so... I think all in all, a pretty good performance from Brassois. He had a very good night in net, and he's looked pretty good in the games that he's played so far. I'd have to say I'm happy with that. Overall, on the night, I'll say that this game probably gets like a B-plus for me. I think that there were a couple of really great periods, but the, the period where they sat back is kind of a concern for me, and I think that there are some lineup tweaks that still need to be made. Once Dubois arrives, hopefully the remaining lineup questions sort of get sorted out, and we figure out the best way to arrange this, this uh, first few lines of offense, because... The second line definitely needs something a little bit more than what it has now. Speaking of Pierre-Luc Dubois, in just a moment I thought I'd give uh, some opening thoughts on how I felt Patrick Laine's first game as a Columbus Blue Jacket went and whether or not he has a, uh, a long-term future there. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why Built Bar is my favorite protein bar and why it might become your favorite protein bar too. If you're a long-time listener of this podcast, then by now you're well aware of how much I really enjoy Bilt Bars. If you've never had one, it's a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. 
Of their 12 original flavors, I highly recommend mint brownie and raspberry as your starting points, but if you can't decide, be sure to check out their variety box, which includes all of their original flavors plus 6 new flavors. That's right, I said 6 brand new flavors that are part of Built Bar's relaunch. These new flavors include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. I've gotten a chance to try all of them, but I have to say caramel brownie and lemon almond cheesecake might take the cake for me. Better than the taste though, these are all guilt-free, with most Built Bars clocking in at around 200 calories or less, between 14 to 19 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're low calorie, low sugar, high in fiber, and high in protein, so they're excellent for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, don't forget to use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout at BuiltBar.com for 20% off. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out today talking about Patrick Laine's first game as a Columbus Blue Jacket, which I caught some of. I didn't have a chance to watch the full game just because I was, in fact, watching Winnipeg outplay uh, Calgary, at least for most of the game. So, you know, priorities, right? I, I was kind of interested to see how Laine would fit in on that first line in Columbus, and I think he's playing with Tessier and Cam Atkinson. And at first blush, I didn't really like that combo all that much. Uh, this is a game that's kind of hard to really rate, especially as, as Line is just getting there. He's just starting to practice with the team, and he has zero chemistry on that line. But I thought, just from watching a first few shifts, I didn't really think that the chemistry or the fit was there. Partly because like Line is one of those guys who, I think he honestly likes to play with the puck a lot more. And, you know, when he was in Winnipeg, he was starting to show a more assertive, even-strength, power-forward kind of style of play, which is something that I think might actually fit his profile, especially going forward. On his current line, it seemed like he was, at least for part of the game, handling the puck a lot less and leading less zone entries and that kind of stuff, which I feel like might actually hurt him a little bit, just because when he's in control of the ice, it's really noticeable. Because he has such good vision and really great passing, I almost want to make him one of the lead catalysts on that line. If you can start to feed guys like Tessier and Atkinson and essentially be somebody who's spearheading zone entries and stuff, creating offensive breakouts and that sort of thing, it might actually start to open up more space for him later once he makes those passes and starts to push into spaces that his distribution has now created as the opposing defenders start to adjust to those passing routes. Columbus also has a hard time often setting up inside the offensive zone, and I feel like Dallas did a lot to disrupt any of the zone possession that the Jackets tried to create which meant Laine had very little time to actually get shots off. So, you know, last year he tried to rush shots because he just didn't really have a whole lot on the power play, which was very noticeable. Kind of a similar situation tonight at even strength, which isn't really ideal for how he wants to play. And then, of course, he found himself on the ice for a goal against in, like, one of his first few shifts just because he doesn't really, you know, track back in the same way that I think a lot of the Blue Jackets players drop deep inside their own zone. You know, with with Patrick, you do understand that defensive marking is not really a strong suit, but even then he wasn't engaging as much as he used to when he was a Jet. So I do think that that's something that will probably change as he gets a little bit more familiar and starts to play more. But I thought, you know, his first couple of shifts, a little bit ho-hum, I expect him to start to break out of it. As far as his power play stuff was concerned, it's kind of hard to rate that just because um, Columbus didn't really have too, too many power plays. And generally speaking, like their power plays didn't have much time to set up either. The Blue Jackets just don't really have great special teams, so that's kind of an issue. Uh, overall, I feel like Columbus kind of got curb stomped by the Stars, so it's a little bit hard to get a sense of how Line would have shaped this game. But it is kind of funny that he gets traded, and like the first game he plays is against a team that traditionally he always scores against. 
by his standards, he's probably not super happy with his own performance. I think he'd probably want a little bit more, but it's also hard to be super disappointed when it's your first game on a brand new team in a new system, new city, and now he's on a Blue Jackets squad that actually might be weaker than the Jets. I think that the way that Columbus plays is in some ways kind of negative and probably not a style that at least right now fits him. I think if they start to make some adjustments and spread out the game a little bit more, Line A will start to be a bigger performance at even strength. We certainly expect him to help on the power play, but of course they will have to find somebody to start feeding him and allow him to be a key offensive cog on that unit, just because if if no one's feeding him or if he's not able to create space for his line mates, I think that that's going to make that power play not quite as effective as it could be. Certainly as a Jet, Line's presence alone was enough to really force opponents to shade towards him and, and create space for his teammates to start finishing off chances too. Overall, I'll say like Line's first performance is probably not where he would have wanted it. I'm sure a goal on his debut would have been a big confidence boost, but it's going to take time for him to fit in there. And of course, he may have to get used to working with a little bit less offensive zone possession time. As always, we wish him the best for success and hope that he continues to do his thing, which is scoring lots of goals because that's the Patrick Line way. And likewise, we are very excited to see Pierre-Luc Dubois eventually suit up for the Jets over the next week or so. That's going to do it for my thoughts on tonight's show, though. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast. Don't miss another big hockey story and start your week off with Locked On NHL. Every Monday, Locked On Kings host Sarah Avampado interviews local experts covering the biggest stories in hockey. Get reactions to blockbuster trades, deep dives on the teams destined to be at the top of the standings, and analysis of hockey's hottest stars. Subscribe to Locked On NHL wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!